0: What's going on everybody? This is Black Men Sundays. I'm your host Corey Sylvester Murray. We're talking about generational wealth, we're talking about finance, and of course we're talking about business. It's a Black Men Sunday. And before we introduce today's guest, my man, Eric from Huntsville, Alabama. Who do you have for our Black Men Sunday spotlight, brother?
1: Hey, thanks, Corey. I appreciate that, man. Hey, of course, this is February, uh, Black History Month. So I would like to always say, you know, Black History Month, we do these spotlights every week, but Black History is actually celebrated starting from January 1st to December 31st. So um, with that said, Here's my spotlight for today. And today I want to recognize this young lady. Well, she's a lady, I'm going to say, but she's young, I'm going to say too. Her name is Marion Croak. Now, Marion Croak is probably someone you probably really heard of, but you definitely heard of her, something that she's responsible for right now. And during the COVID uh, episode that we had, she was an engineer and inventor. inventor that's instrumental when it kept kept the world connected, like during the COVID, uh, when the pandemic shut everything down. So she's a key major figure in information of what we use now, which is called Zoom, Skype, and other video conferencing services. Um, this lady, she has like over 200 patents. She's one of only two women that was inducted into the Ventures Hall of Fame. Very smart lady and... Again, because of her ingenuity and her uh, the, the technology that she's uh, helped with, we're actually using one of her services as of today, which is Zoom. So, hey, accolades to Miss Marion Croke. And again, like I say, Black history is something that we need to celebrate every year during the year. So in that, make sure you dream like Martin. Make sure you lead like Harriet. Make sure you fight like Malcolm X. Make sure you think like Marcus Garvey. Make sure you write like Maya Angelou. Make sure you build something like Madam C.J. Walker. Speak like Frederick Douglass. Educate like W.E.B. Du Bois. Believe in Thurgood Marshall. And of all, challenge everyone like Rosa Parks did.
0: Back to you, Corey. Oh, you're doing it like that today? Okay, hey, man. First off, I was going to say, Eric, man, welcome back to Black Men's Sunday's We missed you last week. Also want to salute you, man. You know, I always talk a lot of trash about your city in Hunts, Vegas, Huntsville, Alabama. But seriously, man, you know, I saw you retire from television news after over 32 years. So big salute to you, man. Because, you know, when we talk about Black Men's Sundays, you know, we celebrate birthdays. But, you know, a lot of times we don't really celebrate retirements of our brothers. So I want to, you know, give you some Black Men's Sunday love, bro.
1: Hey, man, I appreciate that, man. I appreciate that. Like I said, we just... You know, it's time to do something different, man. Right now, I'm working in a, I'm doing finance, working with a finance company right now, where I'm assistant manager of his loan company. So that's what I'm doing now. Want to do something different, you know? TV has been fun, but you know, I, I'm just looking forward to the next chapter of my life and stuff. Another, and I also need to give you another shot about Huntsville, because you know, I talk about Huntsville, that's my home. Huntsville again has reached another accolade where we ranked the top one of the top five countries most prosperous Metro cities for 2023. So hey, what can you say? Huntsville? Vegas?
0: Back to you, yeah. man. Yeah, I'm gonna have to come come out there and visit, man, because I'm thinking Huntsville's just, you know, a little country, little town. I'm not thinking it's lit. Like how you making it, but once again, my brother, salute to you. Now it's time to go and introduce today's guest, this brother from East St. Louis, Missouri. When I think about East St. Louis, I think about Angela Lewis, and we had her on the show, but this brother currently resides in Medellin, Colombia. This brother is a full-time entrepreneur. We know we Black folks. We all want to be entrepreneurs. This brother going to teach you how to do it today. This brother's been doing it for over 20 years. This brother's helped create, develop, and lead startup companies, over 40 companies, When I did my research, it was 30, but then I I looked in the hour before the show and I realized this brother's up to 40 companies now. This brother was an insurance salesman first. He's the founder of PitchDB. We're going to find out what that is. He's the author of the first 100 miles. And this brother, like I said, when we talk about entrepreneurship, Ron Story Jr. is the prominent example of that. So without further ado, Ron Story Jr., welcome to Black Mist Sundays, brother. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, Corey. Definitely. So let's go on and get started. You know, I want to be a full-time arch. I love my job. I love my job. I want to be a full-time entrepreneur. So I need some tips. How can I make that a reality?
2: Number one, don't quit your job. That's the first thing, right? When you walk into a McDonald's, you never see the guy that owns the franchise in the back making fries. So that's the difference between owning a business and owning a job. So if you, um, let's use real estate. Everybody thinks of it, as real estate is something separate from a business. But in reality, real estate is just a housing business. So if you said, you know what? You went to the bank and you said, hey, I'm going to buy this four-unit apartment, but I'm going to quit my job. The bank would be like, no, we're not going to give you the loan because that four-unit apartment ain't going to pay you enough to pay the mortgage and to live your lifestyle. So we would never do that if we were investing in a four-unit apartment. But a lot of times when we're starting our first business, our goal is, oh, I'm going to stop doing what's paying me every month, and then I'm going to start doing something that's not paying me every month. So I think you should treat it just like you would treat real estate or the housing business. You keep buying properties until you have enough cash flow from those properties to replace your current income. So if you took it another route with just a business, you keep doing that business until it's making enough profits to replace your job before you quit the job. So first thing is don't quit your job. Your job is your first investor
0: in your business. As black men, we want to be financially independent. How can we make that happen?
2: Well, the first thing we do is stop buying dumb stuff. So the biggest barrier between financial independence and living paycheck to paycheck is expenses. So one of the biggest mistakes I made is I, you know, I would buy the big car. I used to have like three S-class Mercedes. I used to drive a seven series. And I'm like, dude, this is fifteen hundred dollars a month before insurance just to have a car. When I could just go get a a car and pay it off and not have any monthly expenses. So a lot of times we build up these large expenses and that's our number one barrier from um, financial independence. So if we can lower our expenses first, it makes it easier for us to buy those investment properties or to buy a business that's paying us enough every month passively to cover those expenses. So um, a great example is that I think it's easier for a janitor to retire than what it is for a doctor. Why? Because the doctor has student loans. The doctor has all his lifestyle expenses because he has to look like a doctor in a certain car. He Because he is a doctor, he has all these things where his family has expectations of him, where the janitor may be making 20 bucks an hour and his expenses may be $2,000 a month, where the doctor's expenses may be $15,000 a month. Well, it's easier for me to buy a business that, that can replace my $2,000 a month than what it is for me to buy a business that will or build a business that will replace $15,000 a month. So, expenses are our biggest barrier to financial independence. Keep the expenses low.
0: I see you're well-traveled. St. Louis, Illinois, uh, Virginia. You're in Medellin, Columbia. One thing I noticed about you is that the, the jobs that you had early on, you know, as an insurance salesman, I just noticed it allowed you to use utilize your creative instincts, your financial instincts. So, cause I feel like when I talk to a lot of brothers, they're very poignant, very smart, very intellectual, but then they have a job where they're not using any of those talents. And I feel like, I feel like you maximize your talents in every opportunity that you had. So if you can speak on that for us.
2: Yeah. I think whenever you, whenever you do anything regarding sales, it's like running your own business. So if you're a financial advisor, if you're a car salesman, if you wait in tables, which is sales, you're kind of running your own little business inside of somebody else's bigger business, right? So you get to use your own marketing to get your clients. You get to give your clients if you if you're a waiter at a at a restaurant like I used to be, I could give my people peppermints. Where the other waiters mean I give their folks little chocolates or whatever, but that would increase my tips. I knew that, right? But they didn't know that. But I could I could use that marketing inside of my little business inside of the business. So, what, if you if you're a salesperson or you have a sales job, you get to build a lot of skills, and you get to be creative with those skills. Versus someone telling you, show up this time, do this, do that, stay within the lines. Most of the time, you're commission only, so you just kind of run it. And if you win it, you win it. If you're losing, you're losing, and you go do something else. But that's that's kind of the advantage of doing those types of jobs, such as being a financial advisor or Starting a company of your own. It's it's a great training ground to be independent.
0: De- definitely. Let's talk about your business, uh, pitch db. You're the founder of PitchDB from what I see is the largest podcast search engine, but to me, it goes a lot deeper than that. So mm-hmm. just explain what it is. How can uh people, you know, contact you, things of that sort.
2: Yeah. So pitchdb, um, I had a friend who was looking to get on to get speaking gigs. And I set sales appointments for folks. That's another business that I own. We set sales appointments and they were like, yo, do you think you could get me speaking gigs? And I'm like, sure. It's just a sales appointment with the person who's booking the gigs. So we started doing the reach out and they were like, man, you make this seem easy. How'd you get so many responses? I'm like, no, it's just simple stuff. So we decided to turn it into software. And then, so at first it was for speaking gigs, but then when the the whole um, world shut down in 2020 in March we added podcasts because nobody could leave their house. So since there were no more live events, we started adding podcasts to the database. So up until now we have 3 million podcasts, um, over 148,000 local associations where you can go speak at their conferences, 8,000 speaking gigs, like big conferences, and like 40,000 media outlets. So it allows people to do what we're doing right now. So my assistant, or someone on my team reached out and said, hey, we have a guy, Ron Storey, interested in having him on Black Men Sundays. That's basically what we do. That's what the software allows you to do. You can reach out to any podcast, Joe Rogan, uh, Earn Your Leisure, whatever, a million dollars worth of game. You can reach out to any of them and say, yo, can I come on as a guest? Or yo, can I be a sponsor? Can I sponsor, run ads on your podcast or whatever, right? But that's what we do. We allow you to reach out to people
0: a lot of businesses are local they're outreached in their local communities how can your service create more of an international approach like if you were using black men sundays as an example i mean we're already international but you know to get us like that you know celebrity international status and not just me but for other brothers that have podcasts listening to this like how can your business take it from a localized perspective to a worldwide
2: here's what i would do this is if i had to get into the podcasting game considering that i i work with podcasters on a daily basis the first thing i would do is i would start calling it a show and just think of apple and um, uh, spotify as distribution platforms but the problem with apple if you're in their podcasting thing there's no viral coefficient meaning that if i listen to this episode that I'm on right now, they're not going to say Ron's story also appeared on Million Dollars Worth of Game or Ron's story also appeared on Black Men's Wednesdays, right? It's just going to show me another episode of the same podcast I'm already listening to. So I have no way to discover, people have no way to discover your podcast in iTunes. Does that make sense? Where if you're on YouTube, take the same recording we're looking at now, you put it on YouTube, on the left side of YouTube, they're going to suggest other similar videos based on the captions and all the the titles and all of that is going to say ron also was on this one last week he was on rise urban nation and he was on this and he was on that cuz they want to get that exposure so i think a podcast should just be called a show and then you're just distributing it everywhere on facebook lives on instagram tv on linkedin you're putting it on every platform so that people no matter what platform they're on they can hear your show they can see what you're talking about, right? Black Men Sundays applies on LinkedIn. It shouldn't just be on Spotify. It also would work on Instagram TV. It also works on YouTube. It also works on Facebook, right? So if you just got it on iTunes, you're already behind because iTunes won't promote your show. It only works on iTunes only if you have a a mailing list and you're sending people to it and then they're kind of recommending you. But for virality, YouTube is the way to go. You can run ads to it. Like you want to go international? You want to be the biggest black podcast in Medellin, Colombia? Spend $100 running YouTube ads to your podcast, showing it only in Medellin. It costs a penny a view. So if you want 5,000 views, it's $50. You can show it to 5,000 people in Medellin. That's what I do with every episode. Every episode I'm on, I just run ads to it because I want people to know who I am. I want them to see my stuff but they watching 23 minutes of it on average of an ad who's watching 23 minutes of an ad. So that's, that's the game that I would use,
0: man. Great. Great. That's a billion
2: dollars worth of game right there. because no Nobody's talking about it. They keep it. They keep it to themselves because they don't want their competitors doing it, but that's what the big guys are doing. They're hey, running well, ads.
0: Well, we are talking about it on black men Sundays, but like I said, you know, we're trying to create, we're trying to establish generational wealth, mental health, Finance and business. So, um, I want to get back to, like I said in my intro, you helped create, develop, and lead over 40. My research said 30, but now I see it's 40 startup companies. So, just, you know, for the brothers out there that have a passion, but they don't really know how to execute, how are you able to execute with these companies for them to believe in you? Cause I mean, startups, you know, a lot of times when people think of startups, they think of negative, they think of losing money. They don't think of, oh, this is going to be a big deal. So, you know, from your point of view, how were you able to maneuver that?
2: So the first thing I had to do is I can't code, right? So imagine a guy coming in, he don't know how to code nothing. I'm a sales guy. I'm not a code guy, right? So right off the bat, I marketed myself as the sales guy, right? So I would tell people, Hey man, I can't code, but I know y'all probably can't sell, how do we work together? Can I help you develop your sales process so that y'all can sell more software? Can I help you develop your sales process so you can get more clients or that you can find investors or whatever you're looking for in the business? And they would pay me to do that. Once I became known for that, a couple of investment firms in St. Louis started to recommend me to their portfolio of companies. So they would say, yo, we invested in y'all. Y'all need to talk to Ron. We gave y'all $2 million. Go talk to Ron. He's going to show y'all how to build up the sales team so that you all can go forward. He's going to train your sales team because y'all guys aren't that good. So the first thing is to get a skill that nobody else has. So that was the one thing that I, I leaned on. I stopped calling myself the financial advisor and the, the insurance guy. And I just said, no, I'm just the best salesperson that y'all know. So then from there, they started relying on me because here's the thing. People are going to put you in a box. I could have been the little black kid from East St. Louis that just happened to hang out with startups in St. Louis. But I went in and I said, don't don't put me in that box. Put me as the best salesperson you got contact with. So I told them what they should call me. And that's what they called me. And that's how my name was spread. Oh, you should talk to Ron. We had a great sales conversation. So that's what I would do. If I was trying to establish myself and get equity and consulting fees from, from companies, I would develop a strong skill and let everybody know that's the only thing I do.
0: How can we become successful black entrepreneurs, but get over the fear and get over making mistakes?
2: Okay, so I can give you like the easiest way to be a successful entrepreneur and get rid of the fear. Don't start a business, go buy one. Why even start one? Just go buy one. If I had a great recipe for tacos, most people say, man, I'm open up a taco truck. So now I gotta go borrow money. I gotta build out the truck. I'm $90,000 in debt, and I ain't sold one taco yet. I don't even know if people really like my tacos. It may just be my family that like them. I don't even know if they want to buy tacos from a Black dude, right? Because they may be like, yo, ethnicity-wise, nah. Like, if we saw a white person cooking soul food. We looking at them sideways like, if there's some raisins in this macaroni, we're going to have a problem, right? So it's kind of the same thing. So it's like, okay, if I got a great taco recipe, what I can do is I can call every Mexican restaurant in my city, and I can say, hey, look, I'm looking to buy a Mexican restaurant. Are y'all looking to sell? It's actually cheaper to buy the restaurant than the start one. Let me say it again. It's actually cheaper to buy a restaurant than it is the start one. So I can go in and I can buy that restaurant that's already profiting $100,000, $200,000 a year. So right from jump, I'm making $200,000 a year in profit. Versus trying to start all this stuff and market my tacos. No, I'm just going to put my tacos on the menu. And if don't nobody buy them, I take them off and I still got a profitable business because that business was already selling stuff. So the easiest way to alleviate fear is get over the the arrogance of I want to start. PitchDB, I didn't start. I bought it. A guy was struggling with a business down in Austin, Texas, and I bought it from him. And I knew I could take this. He couldn't sell. He could cold, but he couldn't sell. So I knew I could take the business and push it out to the marketplace and sell people on it. But buy one, don't don't start from scratch. Buy a profitable business right from the jump. Whether it's a car wash, whether it's a, um, it's no different than buying real estate. You know, it's the same process. Real estate has FHA. Businesses have SBA. You buy commercial real estate, you need a certain percentage down. You buy a certain business, get a certain size SBA loan, you need a certain percentage down. They're almost mirrored Exactly the same. You can do owner financing in real estate. Do owner financing in buying a business. So the easiest way to eliminate the fear is to lower the risk for you and the bank, because the bank is like, oh, if it's already making money, bring it in. We'll we'll fund it for you. The SBL help you. But if it's not making any money, you got your little idea, and you mad why the bank? You un- you don't understand why the bank won't ever give you the loan because it's a startup. Banks don't invest in startups. Let me give you one more example right? Imagine if there's a an apartment building with 100 units, and it's got a three-year waiting list of people wanting to live in that dope apartment unit. But across the street is a vacant lot. And you go to the bank and you say, hey, look, I know there's this apartment unit on Main Street. It's got a three-year waiting list, people waiting to get in there right across the street. We're going to build an identical apartment unit to that one. That sounds like a good idea, because they got a three-year waiting list. What's the bank gonna ask you, Corey? What what's the hey, who's gonna do the concrete? You're gonna say you? Who's gonna do the the drywall? Me? Who's gonna do the plumbing? Me? Who's gonna put it in the windows? Me? Who's gonna put up the roof? Me? You ever done any of that stuff? No. They're not giving you the loan. So let's take it out of real estate and put it into business. Who's gonna do the accounting? Me? Who's gonna do the marketing? Me? Who's gonna develop the product? Me? Who going to do the sales? Me? You ever did any of that? No. They ain't giving you the loan. It's the same thing. Marketing, doing electric work. Sales, doing roofing. Uh, Accounting, pouring concrete. You ain't got experience doing none of that stuff. That's why the bank won't give it to you. But check it out. If you went to the same bank, and let's say you was driving down the street one day, you saw this old lady crying. And you say, hey, lady, are you okay? And she said, yeah, my husband just died. We own this building. I'm going to sell it so I can move to Europe to live with my family. Hey, yo, here's my business card. If you're really serious about selling that, call me. Now, I go back to the same bank and I say, hey, you remember I told you that building with 100 units and it's got a long line, a three-year waiting list? And the banker, he's going to say, man, we told you we ain't loaning you that money for the one across the street. No, 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 no. The dude who owned it died. His wife said she'll sell that one to me with the three-year waiting list. It's already built. It already got the windows and the roof and the the people in there. It already got customers. So what the bank's going to say, bring us the income statement, bring us the balance sheet. If what you're saying is true, we will loan you that money. Same exact person, nothing changed, but the opportunity and the risk to the bank. That's the difference. If you want to own a restaurant, go buy one. The bank will give you the money for that because they already have proof that that it works. If you want to own a manufacturing company, go buy one. If you want to own whatever, it's no different. You would never say you're going to build a 40-unit apartment building by yourself, but you think the bank believes you're going to build a $4 million business by yourself as a solopreneur. It ain't happening. Sorry about that, man. I know that was long, but I get worked up about it because it's like the most common sense thing. People have told us that real estate and businesses are different. Real estate is just a housing business. It has customers. It has contracts. It's just a housing business. So it's no different. Follow the same thing. Treat it treat a car wash the same way you would treat a four unit apartment building. Get one that already exists. Don't try to build it yourself unless you got experience doing that. Most of us don't.
0: Let's talk about your book, The First 100 Miles, cuz from my point of view, you know, it basically helps businesses grow faster. Let's talk about that. How can brothers get a copy of that book and you know, what was the inspiration for writing that?
2: Yeah, so everybody wants to be international. But you can be financially independent just within 100 miles of your house. So if you, whatever you sell, if you sell accounting, most people that are doing accounting services have not contacted every business within 100 miles of where they live. But yet they're complaining that they're not growing. If you do attorney work, if you're a lawyer, if you haven't contacted every business within 100 miles of where you are trying to get their business, don't complain about not growing because you're just not working right? So financial independence is within hundred miles of where you are, just hit up everybody around you and you'll be surprised. Now you want to be international, but don't nobody know you in St. Louis. How stupid is that? How about I be locally famous first? And then I can take that energy to someplace else. No, I'm going to show you how I learned this. I tried to get on TV a few times and somebody said, Hey man, it's going to be hard to get on the news in St. Louis. It's St. Louis. It's a big city. Why don't you go to like Champaign, Illinois, where nobody, they ain't got a lot of game out there. It's it's 50,000 people in Champaign. You can probably get on their news channel and then go to Springfield, Illinois and hop on their news. That's another 70,000 people town. They ain't got nobody from the big cities wanting to hop on their, on their TV shows. So hop on there, take those reels and then show them to the people in St. Louis that you know how to look at the right camera, that you know how to keep your sound bites to, 45 seconds, that you know how to let the host talk and not talk over them, all of those things. But if I didn't go and become a big fish in a small pond, how can I become a big fish in this big big old world we're in, right? So I think most people can dominate and become financially independent locally, and then they can take that to the world.
0: So without further ado, this is Black Mess Sundays. The stage is open. Fellas, engage with Rory Story Jr. Let's go. Check this out. I, about 20 years ago,
1: I used to own a video store. And when I first got started, I was listening to you. When I first got started, there was a guy that was selling his business. And I think he wanted, I don't know, he gave me something, eighty-five dollars to $100,000. I think he wanted for the business. But I thought I could do a better job. I can start it from scratch for a lot cheaper. Now, after getting to it, Uh, the business was successful what i was able to do i tried to kind of somewhat mimic what he did as far as customers and but kind of put a different spin to it and i stayed in business for about four years until you know the same thing happened to other video stores uh with red box and streaming and everything else and i was i heard the segment that you said about you know instead of starting from scratch would have been better to buy the existing business. And that's the same thing that owner was telling me that he already had an established customer base that was very successful. He was just retiring and wanted, you know, wanted out. So Mm -hmm. when you said that, it kind of made me think what would have been the outcome if I decided to purchase that particular business versus trying to start on my own doing so. Uh, but I just felt like it was just too more money, even though it was just too much capital going out. But, uh, you know, I, when I did it, I had a cash you know, where I could, you know, start for myself, startup. But he already had the inventory. He had the shelving. He had the, you know, basically I just had to was pay the lease on the building. He was just going to train me on how to run it. Yeah. Let
2: um, me show you how you can get that business for free. Okay. So that right. guy, let's say he wanted 100 grand for the business, right? Right let's say you're gonna sell me it I'm gonna buy it from you let's say you own it let's role play that is that a good deal you be That's the owner, right so hey hey Eric I see you got your your um your video store for sale how much do you want for it
1: eighty five thousand
2: okay and what's it doing every year in profits
1: it's making it's clearing twenty five grand a month
2: okay let's let, let's make it even more reasonable right so let's say it's making fifty thousand dollars a year you want to sell it for 100,000. Let's just keep it simple, right? Because it's easy. Okay. So let's say it's making 50 grand after you pay all the bills, it makes 50 grand a year, and you're selling it for two times the bottom line. That's a good deal. Usually businesses sell for four times the bottom line, but let's say it's two times. So I, you want $100,000. Okay. So if I wired you the 100 grand a day, what would you do with
1: it? I don't know, probably start something else or retire or whatever.
2: Okay. If, let's say you retired, as you mentioned that that guy was doing uh mm-hmm. how much how much of that would you need on a monthly basis how much of that would you just spend the entire hundred grand the first month or would you take no. one to two thousand a month off as interest
1: i would pay one or two months off the interest
2: okay right so let's do a deal i'll give you the hundred thousand dollars so i'm a firm believer that you can name the price but i get to name the terms or you can pick okay. how you want to be paid but i'll tell you what the price is right you don't get to right. pick both that's how that works so if you want a hundred grand I will give you a hundred grand, but here's the terms on how I'm gonna give it to you. I'm not gonna give it to you up front because you said you're just gonna use the money anyway to, to live off of. So I'm gonna give you right. $1,500 a month for the next 10 years. So over the next 10 wow. years, you're gonna end up with $180,000 instead of yeah. your original 100. Go
1: ahead. Okay.
2: Right. And I'm just gonna pay you out of the profits every month, $1,500, and we're even. Is that fair? So you end up with $180,000.
1: Is that cool? Right. Right. That sounds hey. That sounds great. That sounds good. I didn't yeah, think so
2: now, no money out of my pocket. I'll give them right. maybe five grand as a down payment to let them know I'm serious. And mm-hmm. then I'm I'm out. And here's the thing. If I don't if I miss a payment in any month, take the business back. We can put that in the contract. That you can keep all the money, everything you all take the out.
1: Right, like an owner finance type. I see what you're saying. Yeah, that's I it. So,
2: that. but if I call it owner finance, it sends off an alarm in your brain. But right. if I just give you an alternative to what you were gonna do with the money anyway, I can get the deal done.
1: I don't know why I didn't think about that. That's I, mean, I You know, that would been that would been great because it it did it did put me in the mind trying to get the inventory up because he had thousands and thousands of titles. He had the the, the the casing, the, I mean, it was well-established, been in business for about 10 years. so It was well-established, a lot of revenue, but yeah, that, that, that makes perfect. I didn't think about, I don't know why I didn't think about that.
2: Yeah. So the, one of the biggest things is that, especially in a business like that, where those titles that he had had already paid for themselves. So he was mm-hmm. just making profits off of them anyway. Right. Right. But for you, you go buy the first version of ET on DVD, it ain't made no money for you yet. Right. Right. So now you $15 in and ain't nobody, may not, nobody may even want to see ET or child's play or some of these old movies from when I was a kid, uh-huh. but he already got them. So he don't even care. He's just like, dude, just take it. Give me my 1500 a month. I'm going to go over here and, and go live with my wife. Right? right. So you don't always need to go to the bank. The, the person in front of you, if you can solve their problem, that's why sales skills are so important because selling is just problem solving. It ain't no fancy words. If they say this, you say that. No, it's just, can I solve the problem you got? He had a retirement problem. Mm -hmm. And that business was his retirement problem. I had to show him a way that he could get out of the business and retire and have the income that he wanted. That's Mm. how you do
1: it. And a win-win for both of us. Everybody wins. And if,
2: if I don't perform, he takes the business back. So he got my money. Plus he keeps
1: the business. Right. Wow. That's that's good advice, man. I like to say, I, I, I wish I had thought about that 20 years ago. I was just, you know, I'm thinking like, man, I had to cough up that kind of money and start this and do this. And, you know, I was just, I don't know, I guess I got overwhelmed by thinking that big number that he presented. And I didn't think it was worth that much. But, you know, well, that would have been. Think
2: of it from this perspective. There was no Black Men's Sunday 20 years ago right. when he was trying to do this. So your story, Absolutely. the pain and the opportunity you missed is going to save somebody who listens to this the same right. opportunity because now they'll say, right. oh, I remember I could probably try this owner financing thing and I'll shoot Ron a DM and see if he'll kind of walk me through how I should be structuring it. That's what this right. is about. That's why podcasting is so powerful because mm-hmm. we can pass on these messages that you've been sleeping. You've been keeping that message in your front pocket for 20 years. Right. Now it's going to change somebody's
1: life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, I appreciate that. I appreciate the the, inf- the information on that. This
3: is Kalali Dobe out of, uh, out of Maryland.
1: Earlier in the conversation, you mentioned
3: about people who stay in jobs and people who own businesses. So is there a different mentality, would you say, between people who stay in jobs and people who own businesses? And uh, what is that difference? Not to say that there's anything wrong with staying in a job, if that's what you're comfortable with, but is there a difference in mentality between uh, people who stay in jobs and people who own businesses? And what would you say that difference
2: is? It's kind of like saying this. There's different set of responsibilities, right? So if you you want the responsibility of being responsible for everybody else's family, start a business. Because I'm responsible for all of my employees' rent, their savings, their investments, their their kids' private education. I got to pay all of that when I pay their paycheck every month. If you don't want that responsibility, don't start a business. Now, I see it on Instagram all the time people pooping on folks that have jobs. I think that that is goofy. Why? Because you need employees at your business. How are you going to poop on people that tell people who have a job is stupid, but say you hiring? Like how? Like I need employees to work for me. So I can't think it, having a job is dumb because I need employees to make my business run. So I think it just depends on the level of responsibility that you want. You know, everybody's talking about six figure business, six figure business. Come on, man. That's nothing. People got six-figure jobs. Like, if you got a six-figure job, don't quit your six-figure job for a six-figure business. That's stupid. You ain't got no overhead with that job, but you got a bunch of overhead. Look, here's the thing. The average business has about a 20% profit margin. So if you make 100 grand in in your current job, you need to know how to generate, on average, $500,000 in your business just to make the same 100 grand. If you make two hundred and fifty thousand at your job, you need to probably be able to generate five times that. Okay, one point two five million, or maybe more than two point five million, or whatever it is. I can't remember. Do the multiplication. Five times whatever you make at your job—that's what you're probably gonna have to make at the business to put that amount of profit back into your pocket. So people be thinking, "Well, yeah, man, I make two hundred. I can make that on my own over here." Not after you pay all the bills, all this stuff on Instagram is revenue numbers. Don't nobody talk about profits because they ain't making no money. They lying to you. Oh, I got an eight figure business. You get out of here, dude. Like what? What you said, real estate? You sold ten million dollars worth of houses at a three percent commission. You ain't make ten million dollars. You made three percent commission on that, right? So people be making up stuff, man. So just understand that there's nothing wrong with doing either one, but if you start a business. You're going to be responsible for everybody's mortgage. You're responsible for everybody's car note that works for you. You're responsible for everybody's food and dinner. And nobody thinks of it that way. We just want to get on Instagram and brag. I ain't got time for that. I got got responsibilities, not just for my family, but for my employees. So I think if you got a job and you don't want that responsibility I just talked about, stay at the job. Ain't nothing wrong with that. 90% of millionaires are millionaires because they have it in their 401k at their job, not because they owned a business. Let me say it again. I used to be a financial advisor. 90% of millionaires have it in their 401k from their job because they stayed at the job for 20 years, 30 years, not because they started a dry cleaners. These are very few in between people. It's the folks that stayed at a job for 30 years and saved up the bread, bought a few apartment buildings, Built some equity. They kept the job. So I hate when black men become entrepreneurially unemployed, right? I'm entrepreneurially unemployable. I'm going to give you this real quick. This is the most important thing I can say on this podcast today. Entrepreneurial unemployment. This is when a man decides to leave his good paying job to go and start a business. I used to run Illinois and Iowa for farmer's insurance. I worked from home 20 hours a week. I was making 150 grand in two thousand and seven to work from home. Not today. 2007, you can multiply that up to see what that would be worth today. In 2007, I was getting 150 grand to work from home, company car, per diem, everything, expense account, everything. Platinum American Express, the whole run of the mill to run Illinois and Iowa for farmer's insurance. Okay, I left that job to work on a business that I could have paid somebody $15, hours, $15 an hour to do because I didn't have nobody to tell me what I'm telling y'all right now. Two years later, when that business failed, I went to try to get a job. They said, ah, oh, nah, what, what'd you been doing over the last two years? Oh, man, I started a business. How'd it go? And because of our ego, we said, oh, it was going good. And you know what they questioned? Well, why are you here? If the business is going good, what are you doing here? Right? So now they think I'm a liar. And I'm not, I'm not grounded in reality because I didn't tell them the truth that the business failed. So then they ask you a trick question. Hey, so... Um, you ever think you're going to start another business? Well, hey, I'm a, I pledged Alpha. I ain't a quitter. I'm, a, you know, like, yo, I ain't quit. I ain't dropping line. No, I'm going I'm to start another business someday. Yep, we ain't hiring you. Because we don't want you to come over here just to re-up on our money, to just to quit in three years after we trained you to get back out there. Now I'm entrepreneurially unemployable, right? Because they're going to be like, no, that entrepreneur bug ain't out of you, dude. So I had to make it work. See, this is the game they don't talk about because everybody want to talk about, oh, you could do Come on, man. That dude's selling you a course. He's selling you a course on the thing he's telling you he can do. He ain't got no vested interest. He ain't got no downside when you quit your job and you got kids to take care of. My babies want to eat. My girl want to stay at home. She don't want to have to go get a job. She, my, my girl lives at home. Our maid, our nanny, they want their money. They can't they can't be worried about me not doing my job on a Sunday. I work every day. So when people will be, oh well, yeah, well, you can quit your job. Go ahead. Use your job as your first investor. Sorry for being so emotional about it, man. But I've experienced it. Nah, I've nah, been through it. When they, they, don't, nah, I got nah, all the nah. talent in the world. They won't hire me. I'm like, what the hell?
3: I used to work for a CEO, and that's the one thing that people do ne- never talk about. I didn't realize it until I started working for a CEO. Is the level I, and this was a guy who was a CEO of a major company, right? So we talking about over twelve thousand employees at this company, right? People don't talk about. What the real headache is, is how you're going to keep these 12,000 people paid, how you're going to keep their bills paid, how you going to keep, like, those are the kind of questions that's coming across that CEO's desk, not questions about the business. You would think it would be, like, questions about, oh, how's this business going to run? What is this contract we're doing over here? What's this acquisition we're going to do over here? No. The questions are, are what are we going to do about these people's health care? What are we gonna do about how we need to engineer another part of the business so that we can keep this particular business sector profitable so we can keep paying these folks? like. Those were the kinds of questions we were seeing on a daily basis. And nobody ever talks about that aspect of being a CEO, how it's the responsibility of it that's heavy. It's not the, the you know, they want to talk about how to make money and it's fun and you're partying and this and that or the, or the nice house they live in or that. But they don't want to talk about when that person is up late at night or working those extra hours trying to figure out how these people are going to stay employed. So I just appreciate you for saying that because that's something nobody ever talks about.
2: Yeah, because they ain't experienced it. So you can't talk about something you ain't never lived. You can make it up, but then people are gonna see through it. So the yeah. problem, let me give you an example, right? If I told you I played in the NBA back in the nineties, you'd be like, man, get out of here. Cause it's so outrageous. It's like, dude, you look like you like five, seven, 170 pounds. No, you ain't playing no NBA. But when I make that outrageous, unbelievable statement, you instantly doubt me, right? Because it's not even believable. But if you saw me out on the court, and you saw me throw a no look over here, and I hit somebody with a hezi, you're like, oh dog, you, you must've played in college, right? So you'll look, if I say nothing and you just see my skills, you can observe that I'm better than the average person at it. And I don't have to say nothing. My my skills speak for themselves. But watch this. So a lot of people are on the internet just saying stuff, but they ain't got the skills to show it. But then what happens is I'm out there and you like, yo, this dude is dope, man. You should. You ain't never tried out for the league. And I'm like, nah, man, I ain't that good. LeBron comes, LeBron James comes to the same pickup game. He see me do something. He's like, dude, he, y'all like, man, he killing. He's like, yeah, he probably played junior college. And you're like, junior college? You see this dude? He's like, no, nah, he ain't got D1 footwork. He got, he got skills to bust y'all ass, but he ain't got D1 footwork. If he went to Duke, his footwork wouldn't be so crappy. But to the average person, it sounds like I know something. So Instagram is full of people that are just smarter than their stupid followers. But when they get in a room with some real folks that run real businesses, we're like, dude, you're, you're a fraud because we can see through your crap. We know the real stuff. So the conversations are different. So that's all that I'm saying, man. So you got to watch out. You got to be able to, you got to say, okay, look, who's, who's giving me this advice? What have they, can they show their work? Can they show me what they're talking about? I can show you mine. That's the difference. Everybody is easy to talk. Just I do know. I did this. I did that. Okay. Well, tell me about this. What's your hiring process? Well, uh, I mean, I don't even handle that. You're lying. You know, you ain't got no employees. You you run a PayPal account and a Gumroad account, man. Nobody cares. That's cool, but don't don't put yourself out there as a business leader. You're just a hustler, and it's okay to be that. I used to be that, but that's that's what I'm saying. So as you move through business, you start to realize the people that are. Faking it because they don't have the, they ain't got the nuance. See, LeBron saw my footwork went straight, so he knew he played Juco. Ain't
0: nobody in D1 picking him. nobody with that dirty footwork he got. That's what you start to learn. How can we uplift brothers but have the mindset, the skill set, and the discipline to be executives? One
2: thing that I know for sure is that before you can manage anybody else, you got to be able to manage yourself right? Before you can manage a business's expenses and balance sheet, you got to be able to manage your own expenses and balance sheet, right? So if you overspending in your house, you probably over, go overspend in the business. If you take an unreasonable risk with your paycheck money going to the casino, you're probably going to take the same gambles on marketing and sales in the business. Management of anything, whether it's a business, uh, a relationship or whatever, starts with self-management right? So get your house in order. We talk about people hating their job, right? Well, what's the first thing they can do? What's the the first thing they can do, right? Find another one, right? But they don't even start looking for another one. But the job that they hate was the job that they loved and they bragged about when they first got it. What changed? When you first got hired there, I'm happy to announce that such and such has hired me as the new vice president of blah, blah, blah. And then now two years later, you hate it. What happened? You didn't get the promotion you wanted. It didn't end up being the job you thought it was going to be. So be proactive about it and take control of that. Either look for a different job that reduces your stress or get over it. Right? Because as men, that's really the only choices we got. Do something about it or be quiet. Because death is going to come regardless. Whether you do something about it or you be quiet, you're still going to die. It just determines only difference is when. Are you going to die down the road because you made a good decision to make yourself happy? Or you're going to die because you're stressed out and you're unhappy. I think that that's the first thing. Manage yourself. Look at it and say, yo, I want to be independent. Cool. Let me lower my expenses. Let me raise my skill level and and increase revenue. Because if I can increase my household income and lower the expenses at the same time, you don't just do one, you do both. If I can make more money and cut my expenses, now I can take that money and buy time back. Buying a, a piece of property is just buying time. If I got a piece of property that's netting me $1,000 a month, that's $1,000 I don't have to work for. If I'm making $5,000 a month, that $1,000 a month just bought me back 20% of my time. If I can do that again over the next six months, now I got 40% of my time free. If I can do that again, I got 60% of my time free. See, everybody wants to eat the whole elephant. No, just stay at it. Here's the thing. All right, I'm going to give you a guaranteed way to be a millionaire in 10 years. Guaranteed, it cannot fail, all right? So pull up your phone, pull up the calculator, pull up the basic calculator on your phone. What's a reasonable amount that you think everybody can have? Now, there'll be some people that can't have it, that like a certain amount of money saved, but is it reasonable for somebody to have $1,000 or $2,000 or $5,000? Nothing outrageous, not not 50 dollars Like a thousand, two thousand, what? What's reasonable? Five thousand?
1: Say a thousand.
2: A thousand bucks, right? So let's say the average person has a thousand dollars. So let's put a thousand in there. Okay, so I got my thousand dollars. Can I reasonably drive Uber for a year and save a thousand dollars from driving Uber? I can drive Uber one day a month, make a hundred dollars a month off of Uber one day a month, 12 days out of the year. Could I make that other thousand? Could I make a thousand dollars from that? Is that reasonable? I think so. Okay, yes. So hit times two on your phone. So now after one year, how much money I got saved? Two thousand. Two thousand dollars. Now, I already proved that I can make a thousand dollars by driving Uber one day a month. You think I could do it for two days a month the next year? So instead of making a hundred dollars yes. a month, now I'm making two hundred dollars a month. So at the end of the year, after I pay taxes, I should have doubled my two grand. So I got the original thousand saved. I got the thousand from year one, and now I got another two thousand. So after two years, how much money I got in the bank?
0: Yeah, four thousand. Four
2: grand. Makes sense. Yeah. Can I just keep doing that? Add another day? Maybe I do it once a week. Or maybe I ain't got to even do that no more. I'm going to save my tax money instead of paying for stuff with my tax money. Is it reasonable that if you get $4,000 back from your taxes, you can save that, plus keep driving Uber. Does that yes, make sense? Sir. Yes, sir. After four years, do you think you got a yeah. raise at your job over four years? Everybody gets like a 5% raise. Yeah. So if I said, you know what, I got the raise, but I ain't going to go get a better apartment or a better car. I'm just going to save my money for my raises. And I'm going to keep driving Uber one day a week. And I'm going to save my tax money. You think I can double this $8,000? Is yeah. it reasonable? So we're only yeah. four years in, and yeah. I got sixteen grand saved. Now, I hear this guy, Ron, talking about you could buy real estate, whatever, whatever, whatever. And I hit him up and I say, Ron, I got 16 grand. You told me I should be saving. I saved this over four years. I don't even want to be in on the deals that you're doing. I want to work for you for free to learn what you're doing. Don't, you ain't got to give me nothing. I'm gonna just, I want the skill. Don't pay me in money. Pay me in skills. Do you think I will let someone work with me for free to learn the skills? Yeah. Come on. You want to come and work so at a property, a move, some, move some concrete bags, and pour some rocks, and cut the grass, and that's help a, me with that. that's,
3: a, that's a good deal come for
2: on, you, right? Yeah, I'll do that because you're gonna get it, and I'm gonna show you how it works. I'm gonna give you the game, and then I'm gonna say, "Yo, if you ever want to do one of these deals on your own, you said you got sixteen grand. I'll walk you through the process. I ain't gonna put no money in, but I'll walk you through the process, and I'll coach you through it." You think if I, if I helped somebody with a deal or I found a mentor that can help me do a deal, I could double that 16 grand on one, on one, on one deal. Oh, sure. No, I don't even have to do that deal. I can just drive Uber every month. You see, I ain't even got to do any deals. I can drive Uber, make a $200 a week. $200 a week is $1,000 a month. I could double this. So now after five years, how much money I got? 32 grand.
3: 32,000. Right
2: now I can take that and I can do a whole flip. I can flip a house, put $32,000 down, borrow the money, flip it. What did I make the next year? Now I'm at sixty-four grand. we are in year six. If I did a house once, I could do it twice. So in year seven, I'm going to do two houses. Now I got 128. In year eight, I'm going to do four houses. I'm going to do one every quarter instead of one every six months. Now I got 256. Now forget doing these little flips. I'm going to go buy an apartment building with my 256. The equity goes up. I fixed that, we sell it, I'm at a half a million. You think people respect me at that point? If I've been doing these oh, deals for, sure. for eight years? You think they bringing me deals at this point? You think my family looking at me differently? My balls are bigger because I got a half million dollars in the bank. So my family notices. So everybody that was doubting me is now like, yo man, put me on, makes sense. So now I got more deals I can participate in. In 10 years, I got a million dollars. I ain't had to learn nothing about the stock market. I ain't had to learn nothing. All I had to do was save some money and find a mentor. Most people can't find a mentor because they ain't done the work ahead of time to make the mentor respect them. So they say, hey, I want to pick your brain. No, man, show me what you did. I'll correct your mistakes. I don't want to just, you ask me an hour's worth of questions and you ain't going to follow what I tell you anyway. Go do something and then come to me and I'll help you get better. That's how you find a mentor. You don't go to a mentor with nothing. You go to a mentor with a shitty track record. And you say, fix my track record. Hey, man, I've been trying all this stuff. It ain't working. And I say, hey, fix this, this, this. You got all the right stuff. You just got it in the wrong order. Go do that and come back in four months. My mentor is David Price. I emailed him for three years before he took a a breakfast with me. He was the former CEO of BF Goodrich. You can look him up. I emailed him for three years. His first response back to me was, stop emailing. me. Let's go to breakfast tomorrow at six o'clock. Meet me at this address. He showed up with every email I had sent him printed out. So he had been getting them. And I asked him, I said, well, what's the difference? He said, you didn't have a deal when you were emailing me before. This last email, you actually had a deal you were working on that I thought was interesting. The guy has changed my life. But I had to have something to work on. I couldn't just say, hey, I think you're cool and we're in the same fraternity. I'm gonna lean on the shield and you're gonna help me out. No, he was like, dude, I I got my own family to worry about. I got my own grandkids. My kids are older than you. I don't need another nephew to to babysit. But when I brought a deal to the table, he was like, oh, let's talk about this tomorrow. That's the game. It ain't about doing all this magical stuff. It's about up-leveling your skills. If you spent, Five years saving a hundred grand, and somebody comes to you and tells you that you should invest in a SUSU or Bitcoin or something else, that where well, you may lose that hundred grand because you saved it, you ain't giving them no money because you know how hard it was for you to save that hundred grand. So, the first five years of what I talked about is just building respect for money because most of us don't respect it. So, that when somebody comes to us with a stupid idea, we can't, we don't tell them no. So they get us before we even get 100 grand. They get us when we got five grand. They get us when we get 10 grand. Let me tell you what a stupid idea is. You should get a new car because your car got 100,000 miles on it. Stupid. That's a stupid idea that the car companies tell you. You, you. you see what I mean? So they they take the money out of your pocket because you don't have any respect for it. But when you saved it, you're like, man, well, man, why don't I invest this on the way there? No, nah, don't invest nothing because the, the, the professional investor is going to pickpocket you. So just save. I ain't never lost money in my savings account. I ain't never went in there and it was 50 grand. And then the next day I went in, it was 47. You look at your E-Trade account, your Robinhood account, $52,000 today. Tomorrow, 33,000. You look at your Bitcoin account, $63,000 today. Tomorrow, 12,000. Because there's no respect for money. It's gambling. If somebody went into my checking account and took my money, the bank has fraud, protection to make sure that that number never goes down. The only way it goes down is if I'm stupid. You see how it's about self-management? Don't buy the goofy stuff. Save the money, buy back your life. That's how you do it. That's the answer to the question. Manage yourself. Over the longer time period, you'll be okay. Kalali, what's the probability of you being a millionaire tomorrow? Yeah,
3: sure, less than, less than a 10th of a percent, I'd say.
2: Yeah, it's almost impossible if you don't have it already. Unless you're like $100 short. Yeah. In the next five hours, probably ain't gonna, you know what I mean? Listen, to $99,900, the chance of you being a millionaire by tomorrow is pretty small, right? For all of us, if that's our situation, yeah, we don't have it. What yeah, the chance of us being there is pretty small. What's the chance of you being a millionaire in a yeah. year? Is it higher or lower than the probability of you being a millionaire tomorrow? Okay. What about in-
3: it's higher every more time?
2: Yeah. So if we give you five years, is is it a higher likelihood you'll be a millionaire in five years than you would be in a year? Yeah. Yeah. And what about 10 years? Yeah. Yeah. So the winners just have the longer time horizon. The winners just give themselves more time. Pull up Warren Buffett. Look at this. Warren Buffett has made more money, like 99% of his wealth came in the last 20 years. He's the richest man on earth because he's he's ninety years old. He's had ninety years for his money to compound. Does, does that make sense? Yeah. Right. So if we look at this here, watch this Warren Buffett wealth graph by age. Let's look at it. Do you see this? He's gone. He's made fifty-eight billion dollars in the last forty years. Where in the first forty he didn't have anything. But it's because he gets the back end. What if you say I need to be a millionaire by, I need to be a billionaire by 40. How? You, you see what I mean? So give yourself enough time to succeed. You know, oh, man, I want to be a millionaire next year. Cool. But I want to be a hundred millionaire in the next 10 years. So I'm going to give myself longer because it requires a different strategy to get to the bigger number, but it also requires more time. So the better I get at managing yeah. myself, the better other people respect me because they want People who are better than you don't want to work for you. Let me tell you that people that are better than you don't want to work for you. So the key to being successful in my mind is to have a vision and the discipline that other people respect because it's bigger than their vision and you're more disciplined than what they are. A manager will not work for me who is more disciplined than me. She won't respect me. He won't respect me. So it all comes back to me. I got to be better. And as I'm better, other people who are who want to be like me will work for me. I ain't never working for somebody I don't respect. Who does that? Because he can't lead me. Somebody I don't respect can't be my leader. So I got to be the leader that I think my A player friends. I tell all my friends, look, I'm building a business you're going to want to work at someday. And they'd be like, I ain't never working for you. I know. But somebody with your Ivy League degree, it may not be you, but somebody that looks like you, they got your same credentials. Kalali going to want to work for me someday. And I need to be good enough to where if you don't see it, they ain't going to see it. If you don't respect me, your colleagues, your competition ain't going to respect me because you may already have a job with somebody else. But I need, your, I need someone with your qualifications to come over and say, I respect what Ron's doing. I'm going to walk with him. So it all comes back to me. If I'm a crappy person, I'm going to hire crappy people. It's just the way it works. Long answer, but that's how we do those things you talked about. Start with yourself, better manage yourself, better manage your personal finances. Then take those skills that you learned in that discipline, move it over into the business. Have the same level of discipline and rigor and respect. Hire other people who believe the same thing. Have them to hire other people that believe the same thing. Now you got an unstoppable business. That's how every business in America was built.
0: How'd you get to Medellin Colombia? Because I'm thinking a black man, Medellin, Colombia, we had Angela Lewis. I'm like, you in Medellin, you safe over there? You good over there? So, you know, how did you get
2: there? Yeah, man, in, in August of 2014, Mike Brown was shot 10 minutes from my house in St. Louis, right? So, you know, it's a 10-minute car ride from East St. Louis, to Illinois. We just crossed the bridge. We can get to where the area of Ferguson where Mike Brown lives in 10 minutes. At that point, I realized, dude, that could have been me. So six months later, I left. I said, look, I got to get out of the country. I'm going to go and live somewhere else. I'm going to go see if there's any place that they treat Black men better. Because if I can't call the police to protect me, if I have a threat from the people that are supposed to protect me, I'm not safe, right? Today, it's Mike Brown. Tomorrow, it may be me or my nephew or my son or my uncle or someone else. So I started to look for other places. One of my frat brothers was teaching down in Honduras. I'm like, dude, I don't speak no Spanish, but you're the only person I know that's living out of the country. I got this passport I've had for eight years. I'm about to come down there. So I went down, stayed down there. Uh, The city I was in, in Honduras, was one of the most dangerous cities in the world at the time called San Pedro Sula. And I was like, man, this is dangerous. I really don't speak the language, but if this is the worst that it's going to be, I'm going to be fine. So since then, I've lived in Honduras. Costa Rica, the Dominican Republic, and um, I've been in Colombia since 2016. So um, Angela Angela came to visit me after the um, pandemic. And just like my little sister, she was like, yo, once this clear up, I'm gonna come down. I wanna check out Medellin. She came down in, in December and she was like, I'm moving here. Four months later, she had gone back to St. Louis, sold all of her stuff. And um, March of 2021, she was living in Medellin. There's a whole gang of us, man. there's a I got a whole if you look on my Instagram, you can see there's a bunch of black folks that are living here and you know we just a lot especially a lot of us black men we're like, dude, man I can go and live It's 70 degrees every day. The cost of living is 20 percent of me living in the states. So I can live an incredible lifestyle, low risk. remember I talked about financial independence is about keeping your expenses low while you're raising your income. So I can lower my expenses even more, raise my raise my income even higher. So that's how I ended up here. After living in the, so I lived in in five other countries. So that's that's
0: that's the short story. For the brothers out there that's saying, "Man, I'm not leaving the states. I feel yeah." Even with the racial climate that we're going through now, I feel safer in the states than going overseas. What's your response to that? Well,
2: I mean, here's the thing. The police here in, in Medellin don't even have cars. They ride two, You Google it, Google Columbia Police. They ride on a motorcycle, two men hugging each other on a motorcycle. How they going to arrest me? You, you can't arrest me, dude. All you can do is talk to me, you know? So that already was like, oh, this is cool. I ain't got to worry about getting shot because they can't do nothing. They they on a bike. What they going to tell me, to sit in the middle? Like, come on, man, it don't work. So you start to realize, first off, there isn't this big police presence of police everywhere most people around the world want the same thing we want we want to be able to to live love and take care of our families so that's what people here are doing man i mean medellin is six million people it's it's 23 shopping malls everybody think we live in the jungle somewhere it's 23 shopping malls one of the malls here has an amusement park on the roof i'm talking about roller coasters and ferris wheels on the roof of the mall And people think I live in the jungle somewhere. I'm like, dude, are you out of your mind? It it is a safe place. Now, just like every other city, there's a dangerous area. You don't go to the hood. I didn't leave the country. I didn't leave my neighborhood to go to somebody else's bad neighborhood just to prove a point. I don't go to the bad neighborhoods in St. Louis. So I definitely ain't going to the bad neighborhoods in the country where my my Spanish ain't my first language. Because they can be talking in slang. You and I can have this conversation right now. And somebody who has English as their second language, we can talk about it in in slang and they will not understand anything we're saying. Well, they can do the same thing to me. They can talk in Spanish slang. I won't understand anything. Next thing you know, I'm cracked upside the head. No, just don't go to that neighborhood. Stay in your neighborhood. Stay where you can afford to live, which is, you know, I live in a, in a beautiful neighborhood. Anybody can do it, man. It's Get out there and see, man. They're giving passport bros a bad name out here with all the news and stuff. You, passport bros, they're going doing this. Man, come on, man. There's, there's guys who actually actually in it. These guys are on vacation that they call them passport bros. Talk to the guys that are, that are not doing it um, for vacation. We're doing it as a staycation. We live here. I live here. I've been here for six years, right? So I got a different perspective than the person that comes down on Thursday and flies home on Monday. You know, my girl that I've been with for four years, we got two kids. I got kids in school. I ain't practicing. You know, I pay for private school. Like, this ain't practice for me. So, you know, but she stays home. She don't work. She stays home. We got a full-time nanny, full-time maid. She ain't got nothing to worry about. And I don't, she ain't using me for my money. I'm using my money to make sure I'm happy. Because I ain't got to worry about her coworkers trying to screw her. I ain't got to worry about her being upset with her other girl at work because she wore the same dress. I ain't got to listen to none of the conversations that that a lot of guys with their working wives got to listen to. I don't listen to none of that. Jimmy from from the mailroom ain't shooting a shot at my girl because she at home. I ain't got to worry about none of that. See, people don't want to talk about that. That's the real thing. So she can't use me for my money. I'm using my money to make my life better, right? I pay everything. She don't pay for nothing. She don't even think about paying for anything, and she shouldn't. My job is to protect and provide for my family. Her job is to love me. It ain't my job to love her. It's her job is to love me. And people don't want to talk about that. My job is to demonstrate my love by protecting and providing, not being emotional. So we have a very simple two sets of rules. I don't do anything inside of this house. I don't wash a dish. I don't cook. I don't do any of that. We got staff for that and all of that. I don't make any rules inside of the house. She don't make any rules outside of the house. Now, let me tell you why we have those two rules. When when I'm in the house with her, does she need to be protected? Nah, because we're in the house. We got guards downstairs. She don't need to be protected. But do I need to feel loved? Do I need to feel loved and comforted in my house? Yeah, so that's her job. She takes care of this. When we walk outside this house, do she need to feel protected? Yes or no? Yeah, she does. Yeah, she needs to be protected outside of the house. So when we're outside the house, that's my job. I take care of everything outside. So when I come in, I get to relax. When she goes outside, she gets to be as happy as she can be because she knows I'm there with her. That's the difference. I don't have a problem with gender roles. I know everybody wants all this equality stuff. No, nah, man, I, some stuff I want to do. She can take charge of that. The kids, go to the kids' school. I ain't going to none of that, right? I'll show up at the events, but I ain't registering them. I ain't doing nothing. I ain't buying no diapers. I ain't doing none of that. Why? Because she ain't forced to do the thing. She ain't ready to fight if somebody comes up to it with a gun. Right? She ain't she ain't gotta worry about none of that. So that's how I look at it. I think the world is my world is a better place because of those definitions of rules. It ain't for everybody, but
0: hey, it works for me. So did you enjoy your Black Men Sunday experience?
2: Oh man, it's incredible, man. It's it's like it reminds me of the of the barber shops. You know, my barber comes to the house and cuts my hair. So I don't get these conversations very often. Um, so it reminds me of sitting in a barbershop where Pat Sherrod over on 29th Street in East St. Louis. Used to hook me up with the fade for $15 back in the day. Now, haircut's $45 in the States. Crazy. So, yeah, this 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 reminds me of, man. We were sitting there for hours and just talk like this, man. Just people just being honest and straightforward to everybody. I ain't, I ain't got nothing to hide, man. And I, that's what I love about the conversation. We can be real about how we feel with no judgment, you know?
0: So I salute you, East St. Louis, raised, Medellin, Colombia, living. Life is good out there. I salute you, my brother. Thanks for coming on Black Men Sundays, brother. Peace.
2: Thank you. It's a Black Men's Sunday.